Well, there's a lot of things going on in our world, and uh, a lot of things that create some, uh, a lot of uncertainty, as Myra touched on a minute ago, with all the disease and dissension and unrest and fires and job loss, and it goes on and on and on and on. What happens is that we get fearful. I think we all, I'm fearful, you're fearful. A variety of things causes fear. And what I want to share with you, I hope to bring an encouraging word to get away from fear. Fear can be paralyzing. I don't want to point out a scripture. I'll tell you where it is in just a minute. But in this scripture is a contrast between fear and faith. Um, on occasion, I've been known to use acrostics. You know, I'll take faith, forsaking all, I trust him. What about fear? I came up with a couple of things for fear, you know, uh, forget everything and run. <laughs> Sometimes that's what we need, it feels like we need to do. But I feel like in this uh, current situation that's going on, what we have is not forget everything and run, all we have is false explanations about reality. False explanations about what is reality. Jesus is real, but we're told he's not. So we're, we're, we're given a lot of things with a scientific twist that would create or cause us to doubt what God has told us is so. It's no different than what the serpent had said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? It's just a little variation on that same theme. So what I'm going, I'm going to, I don't have three points. I just got one point. Okay, be faithful, trust God. That's my point. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. And so what I want to do is give you my conclusion in case I don't get there. <clears throat> Here's... It's, it's not my conclusion, but it's from the Word. It says this. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Back in the 60s and 70s, I guess the song was, Troublesome Times Are Here. Filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear, now is at stake. Same thing going on now. So if you'll open your word to Psalm 37. We're going to take a meandering walk through this psalm. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to take pastoral preacher privilege here, and we're going to stop where I want to stop. Okay? And we're going to kind of come to the high points that I see. I think we need to, need to, to chew on a little bit. It's kind of like a, a, you know, some of us going into a, a Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's. You know, I, I kind of gravitate over to the fishing or the hunting. And somebody else might want to go over to the taxidermy or the fish tank or whatever. But uh, we just kind of take a, we're going to take a, a meandering walk through Psalm 37. Now there's, and I, I want to start with, a, with an explanation of a term. 
The psalm begins, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Fret. When's the last time you used fret in a sentence or a conversation? What does it mean to fret? I had a, a thought and I, I looked up the, the literal understanding of this, this idea of threat. It's a tremendous word picture, what I discovered. In the old shipping industry, when vessels were made of timbers, occasionally they would get a, a worm that would get in those timbers. You've seen wood that has been chewed and it's got worm tracks and holes all in it. The term that describes the gnawing that those worms do in the wood is fret. That's one of, the, one of the nuances of the word fret. Now, I play guitar and a mandolin, and they got frets on them, okay? That's another excellent. But the way that this term is used, and you'll see it explained here in a little bit and elaborate on, but it has to do with the, the literal uh, definition is to gnaw. To gnaw. Have you ever had something that just gnawed on you? Somebody said something or did something, and he just couldn't turn it loose. And it just festered, and it gnawed at you. And it created in you an anxiety, a vexation, a temper, an anger, and you wanted to strangle somebody. I have. I'm, I'm assuming you probably have as well. But Scripture says, do not fret because of evil men. Trust the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And in verse 8 is why he says don't fret. He says refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So the writer of the psalm understood that idea of the gnawing, chewing, festering, irritation of evil people around. Somebody ought to do something. Somebody needs to say something. Somebody needs to shoot somebody. Somebody needs to arrest somebody. Somebody needs to slap somebody in the face. We get all sorts of emotions that just kind of well up in us. And when I watch what's going on on the coasts with the protest, Makes me want to slap somebody. Why is that being tolerated? Why is that allowed to happen? That's, that's the current scenario, what's going on. And so it, it gnaws, it tends to gnaw on us. But the psalmist said, in the midst of all this, don't fret, he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. What happens when you get still before the Lord. When you go to your, your place of prayer, and I'm assuming you've got a place of prayer. I'm assuming you're praying people. I'm assuming you spend time in the Word and you spend time praying. 
But if you're like me, what happens, you get a plague of flies. All those little things that need to be done, they just start going around. And your, your mind is so distracted. That's why Oswald Chambers in his devotional says, praying, real praying, is hard and difficult work. Because what has to happen when you get, you want to get serious with God. Satan does not want you to get serious with God. And he will somehow bring up out of the, the, the dregs of your memory and your data all those things that you should have done, but you've put off. Or you worry about what this person has said or done or thinks about you. And so you begin fantasizing. You begin role-playing. You begin doing this scenario and the worst-case scenario here. And next thing you know, you're far afield from focusing on God. I was telling Brother Denver a while ago, I was doing some work out in Bethesda on a putting in some horse stalls. And there was flies, not horse flies, just Oh, house flies everywhere. I managed to kind of ignore something. They would kind of light on me and I'd kind of brush them off. But unknown to me at one point, one of the horses got real curious. And he came up and stuck his old whiskery nostrils right on the back of my neck. And I thought it was a fly. And I reached back to you like that. And I jump about that high. You know, when we get focused in on God, all those flies, we just need to, 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 to kind of ignore those and put those aside. Satan will cause that old horse every once in a while to come in and blow at us and get us. He doesn't want us to be focused. We've got to discover what it is to be still. We don't like to be still. You ever notice what happens? You, you tell me, what happens when you, when you walk out the house, you get halfway down the block, and you say, where's my phone? Where's my phone? You turn around, and you go back and get your phone. Why? Well, you might miss some little thing from Facebook, or you might miss something from Instagram. You might miss an email. You might miss one of the, one of the calls you might get from somebody once a week. It might be that day. You will miss that. We, we get so distracted. Satan will use anything to create in us an attitude to fret. And there's always this, this fear that goes along with the anger and the vexation and the fear because he is constantly with his minions feeding us false information, false explanations about reality. Did God really say this? Does God really want you to spend all that time? I mean, you've got a job to do. You've got work to do. You've got all these things to do. And you want to go spend an hour with God? Come on. You're wasting time. What's going on? So, be still before the Lord and wait. Don't fret when men succeed. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Verse 10. I'll pick up with verse 10. <clears throat> A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace. Now let me stop right there again. I told you I'd kind of stop and stop and go. Back in verse uh, 9, it talks about, it says, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Here it says, the meek will inherit the land. You ever wonder where Jesus got his thing from the Sermon on the Mount about the meek inheriting the 
the land. So he, he obviously was reading scripture as well. But what we have in the next few verses is a contrast between the meek, those who are committed to God, and the wicked, those who are not. Now, what do you think of when someone says, oh, that Eubanks guy, he's kind of meek. Meek. When we hear the word meek, we equate that often with weak, don't we? But that's not what the term really has to do. It has to do with control. It has to do with who's in charge of this. And the best way to illustrate that, or at least this speaks to me anyway, is to go back to the horses. You take a horse that is trained to the, to the reins and the, and the bits. The horse, his strength is not diminished at all. It's merely channeled and controlled by the one who's in charge of the reins. And even with that, some of those horses want to buck prance and they want to fight against that. But the idea is that of control, that of sovereign control. The meek are those the Bible describes as being submitted and committed to the lordship and the authority of God himself. That's why he can say they will inherit the land. They will enjoy great peace. Verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows the day is coming. The wicked draw the sword, bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy and slay those whose ways are upright. But the swords, their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure forever. Now here's another contrast. The meek will inherit the land. And he just said here in verse 18, the inheritance will endure forever. The wicked is temporary. What we see right now, they may be thriving and, and, and just, just rolling over, hand over fist, and money and possessions and success. And we ask the question, how is that even right? How is it fair? It doesn't have to do with fair. It has to do with us living in a sin-sick world has to do with us recognizing God's in control. And what the scripture teaches is that the day of judgment is coming. They, it's, they're going to get it. Whatever God determines, it's going to be right. And what it is that the righteous, says, inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, I'm moving on to verse 19. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. The wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. There's that inheritance again. Those he curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's a picture of a dad or mom taking that toddler just learning to walk. You, you've seen it. You've been there. And then it's a few steps. Man, they go great guns. And they look around. And they want to fall over. The righteous. Not saying that we're perfect. Not saying that we are sinless. But saying because we're holding the hand of God, when we do stumble, and we will, when we do, He holds us. He lifts us. 
He encourages us, just like you did with your children when they would take a few steps and bam, fall flat out. And they might gash their chin, mash their nose, knock out a tooth. You know, things happen. They get a big, then you have to explain, oh, what you doing, beating your kids? No, 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 they're just learning to walk. You know, they just are bruised up. That's part of the life, isn't it? He's holding us by the hand. And he picks us up. And he says, come on, we got some more to go. We got some more to go. And we learn how to walk. Some of us still kind of stumble over things once in a while. He says in verse 25, I was young and I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They're always generous, lend freely, their children will be blessed. Now, let me point out, he didn't say I've never seen the righteous in trouble. I've never seen the righteous struggling. I've never seen them avoiding persecution. He said, I've never seen them forsaken. The promise in God's word, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The wicked have forsaken God. And they have no place. And so it's another contrast that the psalmist is, is drawing for us here. So now he's about to tell, okay, so what, what are we supposed to do with all this? I'm glad you asked. Look in verse 27. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. There's that word again, forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. That reminds me of another verse. I'm just wondering, would someone be willing to quote or paraphrase 2 Chronicles 7.14? Anybody? If my people will Forgive their sin. Yeah. He says it here, just turn from evil and do good. The, the, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, all right, what's going on in the land? There's, there's stuff happening. Your land is in need of healing. The implication is that we've got a part to play in it. All right, now let's, let's think about that a minute. What's, what's going on in our culture and our land? Do we, I'm not saying you, but we, do we have any guilt with what's been taking place? If we see some of the unrest and the dissension, the, the, the rioting, the, the, the kicking against the goads of Christianity and freedom, and democracy, have we as the church had a part in the cause of some of this? I would say yes. Because very often what's been going on down through the years, we get, we get, we've been wrapped up in perpetuating our traditions. We've been wrapped up in perpetuating the things that make us feel good or comfortable, and we have moved away from the calling that God has given to us as the church. As the church, we as God's people are to be salt and light. What did Jesus say happens to the salt that, has, that loses or has lost its saltiness? It's good for what? 
Road work. Put it in a road bed and trample on it because it's not any good for seasoning or preservation. The thing about, about salt, and I forget where I heard this illustration at least 300 years ago, but anyway, salt, the thing about salt is it creates a thirst. So if we are the salt of the earth, we as the church need to be creating a thirst for Christ in the world. But what has happened? We, as the church, have created not a thirst for Christ, but a rejection and a curse towards Christ and Christianity. Have we been judgmental? More very likely. Have we been self-focused? More than likely. Is it too late? I don't think so. Not according to Scripture. It says, turn. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. Confess your sins. Then, after we have done this, he says, then I'll, I'll forgive your sins. Then I'll heal your land. But I think, I think we as a church, the church universal I'm talking about, we, all of us together, are implicit and at least, a, at least a part, I'm not saying for all, but at least a part of what's going on. Because we have, we have moved far afield from what God has intended for us. If we go to Ephesians chapter 3, he says, Paul says, God's intent for the church was to make known the manifest wisdom of God to the powers that be. Have we made known? Perhaps in some small ways. Can we do better? Absolutely. All of us can do better, okay? But he says, turn from evil and do good. Then there is this blessing. There is the dwelling in the land forever. They'll be protected forever, but their offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart and his feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. And if we take that phrase, the wicked lie in wait, what is it that God's people are to wait for? We're to wait on the Lord. We're to wait for the Lord to act. We're to wait for the Lord to move and guide and call and provide. We don't like to wait. I was in need of a new phone a couple of weeks ago. I went to the AT&T store. I got tired of waiting, and I walked out. came back another day. They just kept going on and on and on and on. Well, I'm sure it wasn't the fault of the two gals in there that were tied up with other customers. They were needing help as well. But I, said, I don't want to wait. So I went out and did some other chores, come back. We don't like to wait. And when Scripture tells us, be still. And wait for the Lord. It goes against our nature. And so it's a difficult thing for us to do. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their lives, but the Lord will not leave them in their power. I'm in verse 33 if you're following along. Or let them be condemned. 34, wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. There's that inheritance again. I've seen a wicked man, wicked and ruthless man, flourishing like a green tree in its native soil, but he soon passed away and was no more. 
Though a look from me could not be gotten, could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. And here's the conclusion of the matter as I started with. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Our refuge must not ever be in government. Our refuge must not ever be in our own, as, as smart and intelligent as we are, it must never be in our own abilities. But our, our refuge has got to be in our Savior, in our God. And as we take refuge in Him, then we see these, these promises the, these come, come and fulfill for us. So let me, just, let me just recap here with a couple of things like this. If I were to uh, say, what are, the, what are the traits or the characteristics of the faithful? And remember, that we start with a contrast between the one who is fretting and the one who is faithful. So what is a, what is a characteristic that he mentions here? Well, the characteristic traits that he's given is that the one who is faithful trusts God. He delights in the Lord. He's committed to God. He is still before the Lord and he waits on him. And he hopes in God. His hope is in God. What are the promises? Several places is told that we'll inherit the land, that this will be forever, that there will be peace, there will be direction from God, there will be deliverance from God, with God. So if we contrast, the faithful has the promise of the forever inheritance with our Father. The fretful are to be recognized as those who are forsaken. The faithful will never be forsaken, but the fretful, because they have moved away and they refuse, they're the ones who have forsaken God, and because they have forsaken God, then they are the forsaken ones. So let me, let me, again, read the last couple of verses as, as our uh, encouraging word. He delivers them, the faithful. Let me start over again. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. So... My word to us is to be faithful. We are to be found faithful doing what God has called us to do and being who God has called us to be. That's real easy to say. It's more difficult to make it happen, isn't it? Let me invite you to stand and we're going to have a closing. We're not going to sing. I mean, we're just going to pray and then, then we'll be dismissed. And I want to encourage you to ponder this some more and see what it is as you are still before the Lord and as you wait with the Lord to see what He says that He wants you to do. Okay? Let's stand. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for the promises that You give to us. And We struggle with this 
thing of fretting. We worry, we are anxious, we get vexed, we, we just throw our hands up in frustration very often. With your spirit, with your power, enable us to be still before you and to hear what you have to say and to, to receive the truth of your word and be able to be able to distinguish between the falsity of our culture and the truth of your word. Help us to be that salt and the light that you've called us to be. Be with us as we leave from this place and help us to be your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.